You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. great love it love it welcome to those joining us online this morning as well for anyone who's joining us online uh, it's so good to come together and uh, and to worship the king of kings and lord of lords be reminded he's still risen and he's coming back that's why we gather on this day the lord's day sunday uh, and uh, we're, we're excited about his return how do we as christians respond to one another when we disagree? This is the question that we've been talking about the last couple weeks that we've been in Romans. This is the question that we're going to continually be dealing with today as we, as we look at God's word in Romans chapter 15. How do we as Christians respond to one another when we disagree? Now, if you look at the last 2,000 years, uh, there's some problems with the way that we've done that. And uh, uh, this, this text, Romans 14 and 15, are so important for us uh, to understand. This morning, we're going to understand what's at stake in our unity. It's not just our little squabbles amongst one another that's being impacted. There, our worship to the King of Kings is being impacted. Our evangelism is being impacted when we don't disagree in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And so uh, Paul started by talking about our attitude towards one another. When it comes to these disagreements, how, how should we perceive one of one, uh, how should we view one another uh, when, when it comes to these disagreements? And, and what he does is kind of pulls back and it's like, remember what we share together. We've all been saved by the same grace. We, we, we will all, we're all serving the same master. You, in this context, it was about foods that you could eat and drinks that you could drink. And, and, and he's saying it's not about the food. It's not about the drink. It's about the fact that we all are serving the same Lord together. And so if you think you can eat bacon, great. If you don't think you can eat bacon, great. It's not about the bacon. It's about what we share together. We're all serving the same master, and we'll all stand before the Lord someday as judge. All of us are going to give an account to him someday for, for what we've done with his commandments, what we've done with his gospel. And, and so he says, now, so then, this, these are your actions. Don't be a stumbling block to someone. Don't, don't cause, a, cause their faith to be hindered by your freedoms. He's really addressing the strong here. Don't cause them to be grieved. Don't cause them to, to, be, to be destroyed in their faith. Why would you do that? It's not the loving thing. And again, he reminds us that, you know, that the kingdom is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. If you're in Christ here this morning, you have been declared righteous before God. You're like, I, I'm just thinking about my last week. I, I, I may have sinned once or twice. Well, before the Lord, you are declared righteous through Jesus Christ. Your sin was placed upon Christ. He paid that in full, and in turn, he gave you, you his righteousness. 
And so when he sees you, it is just as if you've never sinned. And so we strive to live lives of righteousness. Anyone who's not in Christ here this morning is an enemy of God. You're like, what? I just, I didn't even know there was a God. I just got invited this morning. Well, that's what the Bible says. If you are in sin, you're walking in rebellion against the one who created you. You are standing right now as an enemy of him. But the great news is Jesus Christ came so that you might be reconciled to God. That's how we're reconciled to him is through Jesus Christ. And so now we have peace with God. And as a result of that, we can have peace with one another. And then he says that the kingdom of God is a matter of joy. And all of these things are in the spirit. These are not things that we work really hard in the flesh at. No, these are things that we, have now, we now enjoy in the spirit. So this is what the, our attitudes ought to be towards one another when we disagree. This is what our actions should be when we disagree. And now we're going to see the aim of it. And the aim is not just so that we might like one another, that we might, you know, not have conflict in our lives. The aim is so much more than that. It is so that the gospel would be seen on display in our interaction with one another and so that we might worship the King of kings and Lord of lords in the way that we ought to. And so there's a lot at stake in our unity. And ultimately, the goal of every believer should be this, to glorify God. I want to bring glory to God with my life. That should be the testimony of every one of us. If we, if we look back on our life, that's what we should have said of us. They glorified God in their life. There is a, a story told by Billy Graham. Um, and uh, he told the story of Billy Bray, a saintly minister of another generation who sat by the bedside of a dying friend who had been timid and a reluctant witness for Christ. The dying man said, if I had the power, I'd shout glory to God. Whereupon Pastor Bray replied, it's a pity you didn't shout glory when you had the power. And may we, none of us, be at our deathbed someday saying, I wish I had the strength to glorify God. Let's now, in our strength, let us bring glory to the Lord. And what we're going to see this morning is that we best do that together, together. And so... I don't know about you, but I feel like we need to pray so that we might understand these things, so that we might submit to these things for the glory of God. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, we do pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us through your word this morning. God, it doesn't take long for us to, to reflect and to remember that we are still sinners in need of a Savior. So many times we know what your word says, and yet we walk in rebellion. God, we don't take your forgiveness lightly this morning. Thank you that you do forgive us, but God, we don't want to continue to walk in our, 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 our stubborn ways. God, we want to bring glory and honor to your name, for you are worthy. And so as we study the text this morning, God, we pray that you would apply it to our hearts that, God, we would be changed as a result of our study this morning, that we would uh, love you better, that we would know you more, and that our lives would reflect that knowledge. And so, God, would you lead this preacher by your spirit, help him to speak your words in such a way that, Lord, uh, we might hear from you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and stick up your hand. We want to look down at God's Word together. Maybe you, you ran out of the house, you forgot the Bible this morning, or you don't have one. Uh, whatever the case might be, we want everyone to have one, so just slip up your hand. The ushers be happy to get a copy of God's Word to you. And what we're going to read this morning in Roman, is Romans 15, and we're going to study verses 1 through 6. Romans 15, 1 through 6, as we continue to learn about the importance of unity in the church. If we, again, we're reflecting back to January, this whole section began by why are we doing these things? We want to glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We want to live rightly in light of the gospel. We don't want to be conformed to this world any longer, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Characteristics of a church that is united. We're going to see four characteristics. The first is that they embrace the pursuit of the strong. They embrace the pursuit of the strong. This is what a characteristic of a church that is united does. Again, thinking about the way the world thinks about strength and the way that the church thinks about strength, again, should not be the same. Sadly, there's a whole lot of history where we could say, yeah, the church was no different than the world in the way that they used their strength. They used it to, to take advantage of people. And that's what we tend to do when we're in a position of strength, right? You have to do what I want, is what we think when we have the strength. We, we have all kinds of different strengths. We, you know, could be a physical strength. It could be a mental strength. But oftentimes, the, the strength is used for our own gain. And this is not the biblical way. Now, we have to recognize that's not our normal way either, Right? In our flesh, in our own DNA, our default is to like, I want what I want, and so I'll use whatever I need to get what I want. But as we're going to be learning in this text today, that's not what a Christian should do, ever. They should always be looking to the Lord and what he wants, and then secondly, what will please our brother or sister, and this is what we're going to see as we look at these verses. We who are strong have an obligation, do I have a choice? No, not a choice, obligation, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, again, context matters, always matters when we're studying the scriptures. The strength that he's talking about here is being strong in our understanding of what God's word says. And in particular, he's been talking about understanding that I can eat whatever I want. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scriptures uh, taught that, Jesus taught that, but understanding in that day there were people who grew up thinking that there were certain foods that you could not eat, and for them it still would be sin. And so for those who are weak, 
The strong should what? Bear with the failings of the weak. Uh, to bear is not simply to endure, like, oh, okay, whatever, I guess I'm just eating veggies today. Like, that's not, that's not it. It is to, it's to come along and help carry. It's what we see in Galatians 6, 2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is to actually come along and help them, encourage them, strengthen them, not, not put them down like, oh, when are you ever going to understand? When, when, when are you, you going to stop putting your convictions upon me? Now, that's not what the strong do. They, they understand that they're still not in that place and they're understanding that's okay. It's not about food. It's not about drink. It's about my brother and sister doing well in Christ. And so I, I'm going to respect what they believe and I'm going to help carry their burden. And so all strong believers are obligated to help the weak in faith in this way. This is what followers of Christ do. Obligated. Not a choice. Obligated. He continues on. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. So rather than pleasing myself which is my default, I just did a wedding yesterday, reminded of that, right? Default, husbands and wives, right? Like that's a real great practicing ground. How are we doing in that, right? Am I always trying to please myself or am I trying to please my spouse, right? That's why marriage is such a great sanctifier, right? Causing us to die to self and to live for Christ. But let each of us please his neighbor, it says here, and again, thinking about brother or sister in Christ, for his good to build him up. Now, there might be some people, you know, kind of pious here. They're like, you know, um, I'm not supposed to be a people pleaser, Pastor. Um, I know that is true. Like, I'm not supposed to be a people pleaser. So what's the difference between a people pleaser and pleasing your neighbor? Well, a people pleaser does what? Whatever that person wants, right? That's their default. You, 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 you think it's white? Okay. We'll say it's white. You say it's black. Okay, whatever you think. I just want to please you. Like, that's people-pleasing. That, that, that's actually not being really helpful to them in any way. Right? Oh, you love gossip? Oh, I got some great gossip. All right, this is going to be a great time together, right? Oh, you hate those people? Oh, I hate those people too. Like, how is that helping them? That's not helping them. That's actually hurting them. And, and obviously, as we look at the whole sentence here, we please his neighbor for his good. So what does it mean to, to please a person for his good? Well, first of all, we need to want to think about what's, what does God say is pleasing? First uh, Thessalonians 2.4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So we go to the Lord first as to what will truly be pleasing to your neighbor. Now, at the moment, there may be that they actually don't think it's very pleasing, right? I actually don't like what you just said. You just called me a sinner. You, you just told me that I need to repent of my actions, that I need to believe on your God. I don't like you. Okay, well, you don't have to like me, but I, I just did what was good for you, right? Now, when the context here, thinking about are good for our neighbor, and in particular for our brother and sister in Christ, we need to think of 
what will help encourage them? What will help build them up? That should be the focus of every time we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not what's going to tear them down, what's going to build them up? What, what, what could I do to help my brother and sister today? I, again, I hope we kind of hit this last week. I hope that you're kind of like, I think I remember something about the sermon last week about coming with expectation to church so that I might build up one another, that I might encourage my brother and sister, right? We live in a society where we just kind of all sit back and wait for someone to come to us, right? Well, hopefully somebody's going to love me today. Hopefully somebody will encourage me today. No, you, again, last week, mutually encouraging one another, you come with the expectation, I'm going to come encourage someone. I'm going to speak into someone's life the word of God. That's why we, that's why we gather. That's why we come together, to, to encourage one another, spur one another on, to go back out into the mission field, right? There's this coming together, let's strengthen one another, encourage one another this morning, and then back out, and we come back together, and back out. That's the process that we get to enjoy. That's the, that's the ebb and flows of life as assigned by Christ. So what does it look like to encourage one another in the faith? Well, it's always doing the loving thing. If you think back to Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Always thinking, okay, what does God's word say? Now I need to apply that to someone's life. Yarbrough put it like this, please means not some cheap amusement, but an act or gesture that will meet a real need or enhance stability, spiritual stability. Right? Anybody ever doubt in regards to their faith? Has that ever happened to anyone? Okay, nobody's listening. (laughs) We all have times. We all have times where it's like, oh man, this is true, right? This faith that I've like I'm living for, it is true. And and anytime we get discouraged, we need someone to come alongside us. Remind us of God's truth. Remind us that, that he is faithful. And, I, and, and remember how the Lord got you through that time? Oh, yeah. Thank you, right? We, we want to say things that would help encourage them in their faith and, and do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition. It says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and this is key, count others more significant than yourselves. That let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is that how we view one another? You're far more important than me. What, 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 I don't want to talk about me. I mean, that should be, that should be our MO. Let not, 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 I, can we just focus on you? I just want to, what, like, how are you doing? How, 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 how can I encourage you? Like, not, not just like our Canadian good but like truly, how are you doing in the Lord? What's God, what's God teaching you? Where are you struggling? Where are you wrestling? Like, how can I help you? Where do you feel like you need to grow right now? Like, those are the kinds of conversations we ought to be having with one another continually as we consider others as more important than ourselves. And with that mindset, I would never do anything that would cause my brother or sister to stumble because they're way more important than a piece of bacon, than a glass of beer. 
then long hair. I don't know. Whatever, right? You know all the different things. We talked about this last couple of weeks. So the goal and desire is that the weak would be strengthened, right? So that together as a church, we'd be strengthened. Every time we, in the body, every time you strengthen another piece of the body, guess what? We're all stronger as a result of it. We're all better together when each one is built up. So that's the first characteristic of a church that is united. Second, they follow the pattern of the Savior. They follow the pattern of the Savior. It says this, for Christ did not please himself. Christ, the Lord, the Son of God, did not please himself. He is the ultimate example. Paul brought this up over and over again. Just one verse. Again, I encourage you guys, write these verses down. Look them at uh, for yourself later. But 1 Corinthians 10, 32 through 11, verse 1. Paul says this. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, now listen, as I am of Christ. Paul said, like, follow my example of dying to yourself in whatever way. In this context of 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about with everybody, with believers and non-believers. He's doing what, he's getting as low as he can before everybody so that he's got, there's no cause of stumbling so that they might come to faith. Christ died to self Christ lived for the Father. Now, if we understand who Jesus is, if there's anyone in this world who could have lived for himself and it would have been 100% correct, it was him. He is the creator. He is God. He was perfect in every way. If anyone had the right, because don't we feel like that? I had the right to be focused on myself. If anyone had the right, it would have been him, but he did not do that. And he set the ultimate example for us. Stop puts it like this. Instead of pleasing himself, he gave himself in the service of his father and of human beings. Although he, being in very nature God, had the greatest right of all persons to please himself. But he does not. Instead, as it says in the second half of verse 3, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 69.9, second part of 69.9. This whole psalm, it explains the death of Jesus. It describes the unjust and unreasonable sufferings of a righteous man who has been forsaken by his friends and attacked by his foes. Psalm 69, it was quoted many times about the life of Christ. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Stoss says this, Christ so completely identifies himself with the name, will, cause, and glory of the Father that insults intended for God fell upon him. He was happy to embrace his, his role of walking in the will of the Father each and every day. And as a result, as he, as he got to the <clears throat> time of, uh, of crucifixion, he welcomed 
the reproaches of God upon himself. This is why Christ came. The vileness of man, the hatred of his heart, his violence and disdain against all that is right is seen at the cross where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is hanging on that cross. They spewed out their hatred against Jesus, while Jesus instead, what? Said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Their hatred placed Jesus there. Jesus' love for them was the true reason he hung there. John 10, 17 and 18 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The charge I have received, this charge I have received from my Father. Jesus, in his strength, did not please himself or do what was convenient or comfortable for him, but instead took on the, the reproaches of God as one who com was com completely and fully, sorry, as one who would completely and fully followed the will of God. And all that he did, he followed the Father. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's interesting, as you think about this text, the first half of this verse is also quoted over and over again. For zeal for your house has consumed me. That, that, verse was, that particular part of the verse was, was uh, quoted when Christ went into the temple, right? He's flipping the tables. <clears throat> Why did he do that? Because of the lack of worship in the temple, the, 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 the sinfulness that was going on in the temple. Zeal for the Lord and glory for the Father was the zeal of Christ. <clears throat> and so because of that, because of his zeal for the Lord, because of the desire to see the Father honored, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but yours be done. His whole life was for the glory of the Father. It was demonstrated in flipping tables in the temple, and it was demonstrated when he died upon a cross for you and I. Jesus is the one we follow. And so we are obligated to bear the failings of the weak as those who are strong. Because why? Because Christ bore our sins upon the cross. In his coming to this earth, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And he pleased the Father in all that he did. It says in John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. In other words, I followed the will of the Father right to the cross when he is lifted up. And then he said in verse 9, 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As a follower of Christ here this morning, is that your heart's desire? I want to always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. Because Christ did that for me, now I am able to do that for him. 
This should be the heartbeat of every believer. And so when it comes to dying to myself, I will gladly do so because Christ died for me. Characteristics of a church that is united. The third thing we see here is they grasp the purpose of the scriptures. They grasp the purpose of the scriptures. It says in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now, there's almost like this little bit of a side path on this verse, right? He's highlighted Christ and what he did for us. But then he says, yeah, notice I I quoted that from Psalm 69. And next week, as we're going to look at verses 7 through 13, we see him quoting from Deuteronomy. We see him quoting from the Psalms. We see him quoting from Isaiah. He's like, all the scriptures are there. They, 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 they are for your endurance. They are for your encouragement. He, he wants us to understand the, the purpose of the Bible, the scriptures. Now, remember at this time, Old Testament, that's all they had. They just had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. As, as Paul is writing letters to Rome, he doesn't like, hey, I'm writing the next book of the Bible. He doesn't really understand that, but, but, but God is writing through him. And so... The scriptures are hugely important for you as a believer. If you're to do what God calls you to do, you must be men and women of the word. You have to be. And you have to understand the scriptures in the way that they were actually written. Note, first of all, he says, for whatever was written in former days, so... It was written in the past, right? That's all that's saying there. And as we think about that, we think about the fact that even Book of Romans, Paul wrote to a church in Rome about specific things that they would need to understand at that time. Moses wrote, wrote the Pentateuch to help us understand everything from creation right through to the law. Like every book was written to a specific audience at a specific time for a specific purpose. And I bring that up to remind us, if we are to understand these things, we need to understand what, was, what did they understand about the scripture? What was the message to them? Because as the message was to them, so it is to you and I today. It is written for also for our instruction. Isn't that interesting that we're studying a book written almost 2,000 years ago and yet highly relevant for today, but only relevant when we actually understand the instruction. We can't just make it up. Now, I know that's popular to do, but that's not how it works. We must understand these things. So let's just think about this. I want to just do a quick hermeneutics 101 kind of thing. Jeremiah 29.11, for example. I'm reading my devotions this week, Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? And so you're just like, all right, this is good. This is good. I'm going to have a great week now. I claim this verse to my life, Lord. You're going to give me a hope and a future. Okay. Does that 
Sounds good. Written for my instruction. Well, what do I need to understand first? Who's the audience? Israelites in exile. That's the audience. They are there. How come? Because they sinned against God. They've been walking in rebellion against him. And what God wants them to understand is, look, even though you've walked in rebellion against me, and even though you're going to be in exile for a while, I know the plans I have for you. There is a future for you. There is a hope for you. And in fact, in verse 14, we find out the future and hope is what? They will return to the land of Israel. And that as they seek him, they will find him when they seek him with all their heart. So, unless I'm an Israelite in exile, I should not be thinking that their application is going to be the same as my application. What's my application? Well, I learned that the God, the God who wrote this is the same God who is yesterday, same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when, when we walk in rebellion against him, there is consequences for our sin. But if we were to repent and look to him, there is a hope and there is a future. And as I understand the whole scripture, what is that hope and future? It's eternal life with him. It is it is, the, is a hope so much better than a piece of land, right? Now, that was great for them, but it's even better for you and I that our hope and future is not in this world. It is in the life to come. So when I'm reading my Bible, just read through Matthew through Revelation. Is that what's teaching here? The good, it's only, that's the really good stuff, Matthew for Revelation. Like Genesis through Malachi, you don't really need to know it. Is that true? And it's not true. You're missing out on a whole lot if you don't understand Genesis through Malachi. Because all of Genesis through Malachi is pointing to Jesus Christ. Matthew through Revelation pointing back to Jesus Christ. So let us know all the scriptures. Why? Why? They're written for our instruction and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. They're written for our instruction. So that through endurance and through encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, now these things that took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And again, in verse 11 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about the fact that the scriptures were given for our instruction to help us live as we ought to live. So, for example, in our day, Judges is a great book to read, right? What happens to a society where everyone does what is right in their own eyes? Read Judges. Doesn't end well, right? Big mess. Hmm, Canada, 2022, every man doing what is right in their own eyes. How's it going for us? Terrible, right? So these things were written for our instruction. So we're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't live like that. Maybe instead we should live by an objective truth, which is the scriptures, which is what we need to live by each and every day. 
So Boaz, talking about 1 Corinthians 10 and this text, he says this. In both these passages, he points, his point is this. There are bigger things happening in God's plan for the ages than our relatively small concerns of the moment. Like when I look at the scriptures, I remember that there is a God who is eternal and he was over the beginning and he's over the end. He's over it all. And my minuscule little things that I'm dealing with every day all of a sudden starts feeling a lot smaller. But before I start reading the scriptures, my problems seem like huge. And I, and I don't have any kind of direction, like where do I go? And I, I, I'm, I'm, if I'm, I'm focusing on my problems, I'm, I'm discouraged. And what? I feel like giving up. I was, uh, I was at a wedding uh, in Lethbridge this weekend and got to meet some new people. And so they're just, you know, tell me about your story with Hope and, you know, everything that happened with her. And, like, how did you get through that? And so I... You know, I, I, you know I, I guess it was, I look back on that time, how many, how many of you guys um, have ever been to the ocean and tried to like surf or body surf? Anyone tried that? Like I'm not in, on any kind of swim team ever, right? Like I, so take this for granted, so maybe it's just my experience, but what that wave would do, it would take me and it would just like slam me into the sand, right? And then I would slowly get up, and I would try to figure out where I was, and then guess what? Bam, another wave, right? And when everything happened with hope, that's what my life felt like, for not just for the day, but for like weeks and months. Just like wave after wave after wave, where you just keep getting slammed to the ground, and you don't even know what end is up anymore. And I share with this guy that when, when, when early on, it was about a day and a half in, I said to my wife, God picked the wrong guy. I can't handle this. So that's where Trevor was at. But what God did was picked up Trevor from that moment and then took him and said, look, open the Bible. And so that's what I did. I was like, God, I have to hear from you. Like, I don't know what ends up anymore. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're just like, like it just seems like wave after wave after wave of problems in your life. And I want to just encourage you, look to the Lord. Look to his word. And what the Lord did for me is I, I, I read Psalm 25, and these words just jumped off the page. Those who put their trust in me will not be put to shame. And I didn't know what that meant for my daughter's life, but I did know this. If I put my trust in him, I would never be put to shame my entire life. And the next wave came, Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. This call, uh, call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What was the hope? How did he have hope in, in the, in when, lot, when waves were slamming him over and over again? God's love is steadfast. His faithfulness is great. His mercies are new every morning. It's like, okay, and you, get, you, get your, you, get, you finally get your feet again, but it's not you, it's through the word. This is how we endure. This is how we get encouragement. This is what Paul's talking about is, like, wait, like, I really want the bacon. I really want to do what I want. He's like, look at the bigger picture. Look what Christ did for you. 
Look, look, look at his example. It's not about you. It's not about your life. It's about living for the glory of God. It's about living for your brothers and sisters. And this unity that we get to enjoy is just a taste of what glory will be like. And so look to the word for your endurance, for your encouragement, for your hope. We all desperately need hope. If there is no hope, then why are we here? And sadly, so many people are coming up with zero answers for that question and ending their lives these days. But we have hope. We understand what the scriptures say. Our hope is eternal in him. And no matter what is going on in your life today, I wanna just encourage you, look to the word. Our time in the word isn't just a cerebral thing, right? It's not like, okay, I've learned some new things today. That's great. But then it should drive your life and show you how to live and why we live and and how we live. And then we walk accordingly. James 1.22 says, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And then we will have hope. Three characteristics, four, sorry, four characteristics of a church that is uni- united. Last one, they exclaim the prayer of the saints. They exclaim the prayer of the saints. It says in verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Like the scriptures aren't just for my encouragement and endurance, but Our God is called the God of endurance and encouragement. It's almost like they go together. Hey, just be warned. Anyone who's like, well, God said this. You can't find it in the Bible, but God, God, my God is like this. Well, he's not the God of the scriptures then. The The God of the scriptures uses his word to help us endure, help us be encouraged. Moose says this, God alone is doubtless the author of of patience and of consolation, for he conveys both to our hearts by his spirit, yet he employs his word as the instrument. Our pursuit of God flows through his word as the spirit of God enables us to understand it. The spirit, the father, the son, and his word all work together. If it's just about the spirit, you're lost. If you're trying to understand the word without the spirit, you're lost. It goes together. The Lord is doing a new thing. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at Easter. There's, a, there's this, this new kingdom that is being formed through you becoming new creations. A part of the fruit of that is that we are now united together. You think about the curse. What happened as a result of the curse? Hatred, murder, like by by chapter four. Like right away, there's murder, there's division. and, and, And as the body of Christ, God wants to make that different here. We should be united. Even when we disagree, we love each other. We care for one another. We embrace one another. Okay, we we're different on that particular issue. That's okay. 
That's a minor issue. So let us love one another. Let's care for one another. This is what God is wanting to do. This is part of his kingdom coming on this earth is us being united. He talks about this in accord with Christ Jesus. So, so okay, is that, is that in accordance with his will or in accordance with his example? And the answer is yes. Right? He, he, he set the ultimate example. And what did he pray before he left? The night before, before he was crucified, what did he pray? John 17, 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, what? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as, even as you loved me. The Lord's will for the church is that we would be one. And what happens as a result of that? It's a witness to the world that, that there's something going on differently than those people. In the world, there's so much division and hatred and strife. But those people, they, they, they truly love one another. They truly care for one another. I went to their church, like they're all different ethnicities, they're all different ages, and yet they're just together as one. I don't understand it. Why? And that points to what? That the God of love has sent Jesus Christ that we might have peace with him and peace with one another. And when we are divided, it hurts our witness. It should never be that way. And then he concludes by saying this, that together you may be with, may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it hinders, when we're divided, it hinders our witness, but it also hinders our worship. It hinders our worship. And God's desire, the prayer here is what? That together, with one mind, one heart, one voice, we sing praises both to the Father and to the Son. If we had more time, I would point out, I'm going to quickly, Father, Son, anybody who says that the Son is not equal with the Father, just show them this verse. They both receive the glory. Stott says this, Indeed, without this unity of mind about Christ, unity of heart and mouth, in worship is, in, or sorry, in unity of heart and mouth in worship is impossible. In other words, he's saying this. If we're divided, worship is not possible. Not in the way that God intends. So it's not just about our little conflicts. Do we see that? It's about our witness to the world. It's about our worship to the Lord. And so this is why we strive together. And this morning, the accountability starts here, right? You're like, yeah, I really wish the church was more united. Let's go home. Well, it starts with what? I have a problem with Bob right now in the church. Well, call up Bob. 
and get it ironed out. Get it figured out. You are brothers in Christ. Get that conflict figured out. You can't get it figured out? Call someone in to mediate until you get it figured out. That's what we do. We love one another and we have no division amongst us. Strong, bearing with the failings of the weak, as we all follow Christ, because we want to be a witness to the world and we want our worship to be glorifying to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, we would be quick to recognize that too many times, Lord, we are consumed with our own interests. We don't die to self and live for you. And so, God, we are asking for forgiveness that, for, for that even now. Lord, Lord, you may be even bringing specific things to our minds as we think about that, things that we need to get right today, not putting off till tomorrow, but today. Lord, it is your desire that we might be at peace with one another, and because we know that, whatever the conflict is, we know can be resolved, Lord, as we look to you. Lord, I think of marriages where there may be conflicts that are strong right now. God, I pray, help these couples to look to you, to your example. Help them to do that which would build up one another, encourage one another. Lord, we pray for this church. Lord, will you help us to be a witness to a lost and dying world where they desperately need to see that the gospel changes lives, that there's hope, that there's encouragement through the scriptures, through what Christ has done. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this challenge this morning. We thank you that you have set the example, that you, it is your will that we would be unified. And Lord, we look forward to that unity. We look forward to enjoying it. Lord, as we look to you each and every day, it's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.